Welcome to selfdiscoverymedia.com, where the Orchard of Wisdom shows are at your fingertips. It ignites your soul, your heart, your spirit, your mind, and your body with illumination from people who have made the journey before you. They're here now to help you on your journey, on your path of self-discovery. We are funded by you, the audience, and the people we interview. If you wish to support us, please go to selfdiscoverymedia.com and press on our Fund Action button. Anything is appreciated. We'd like you to sit back and enjoy the shows. Here we go. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Choose Positive Living right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my wonderful guest today is Dreamer Denver. Do you remember a wonderful little show called Gilligan's Island? I did. I loved it. Gilligan was just the heart and soul of that show. He certainly kept everybody alive on the island, and his sense of humor and timing was absolutely wonderful. Well, Dreamer is the wife of Gilligan and has had a beautiful life with him and we're going to be talking about that life uh, Gilligan's dreams and we're going to be talking about their son with autism we're going to be talking about the Denver Foundation the nonprofit foundation started by Bob and Dreamer in honor of their severe autistic son and they're going to understand firsthand exactly what families face when they challenge you know face that challenge of special needs children we're going to be also talking about her books Gilligan's dreams the memoirs four bears in a box and a, a new book that is coming out um, very, very, always is out now, Zen and Now. Um, we've got a lot to talk about here. So I want to dive right into it. Now, Dream, I met him. Uh, did you actually meet on Gilligan's Island? Did you meet on the show, love? Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you, Sarah. Um, we did not meet on Gilligan's Island uh, during the original run of the series. But I was a young actress and I was cast in a stage show with Bob mm -hmm. um, as his love interest. <laughs> and it was, and it, was, it was really so perfect. It was funny because uh, I was actually in Florida visiting my family. And a friend called me and said, you know, over in St. Petersburg, they're casting for a show called Play It Again, Sam, a mm -hmm. Woody Allen show. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure most people have heard of that one. Yes. He said, you know, you would be perfect for the female lead. I really think you should go audition. So I said, okay. So I did. I went over to St. Pete and auditioned and got the part. And so after the producer, after the audition, when the producer told me I had the part, I said, well, who's going to be starring in the show? And she said, Bob Denver. And I went, Gilligan? She, <laughs> I did. And she said, Yes. And I went, oh, seriously, I'm going to have to do love scenes and kiss Gilligan. And she was like, well, if you want the part, you're going to have to. And I was like, oh, no, I want the part. I want the part. So uh, little, did I, <laughs> little did I know, I would never have imagined a couple of weeks later, uh, we started rehearsal and um, I went over and there was a marquee on the outside of the theater that said Bob Denver starring in Play It Again, Sam, also starring dreamer perry which was my maiden name and so i walked into rehearsal and all of us got there before bob did we were all chatting and and having you know actor small talk you know mm -hmm. what have you been in who have you worked with all those things <laughs> suddenly a, a man hits the doorway and the first thing out of his mouth was what the heck is a dreamer <laughs> 
<laughs> and I went, that would be me. And he goes, serious, your name is Dreamer? And I said, no, 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 it's Dreamer, which he thought was every bit as weird because mm -hmm. he had never heard it. And um, he came over, we took hands. He said, it's nice to meet you, Dreamer. <laughs> and I'm telling you, anybody who was there that day would uh, back me up on this. It was electric. Mm -hmm. I mean, something that passed between us that mm -hmm. for me, it was, and later I found out for him, it was the same thing. But for me, it was, oh, there yeah. you are. Right. I've been waiting all these years and there you are, <laughs> you know. And it lasted for 30 years. So Wonderful. it was the real deal. Mm, yeah. And, and it's very rare to find that real deal. And, and especially in the show business world as well. Um, but it, for anybody, you know, 30 years, whatever years you have of real love is, is hard to come by and something you really, truly hold on to, right? You do, it's, that's so true. Bob used to say, I think we'd been married about 20 years when... Uh, it was like an anniversary and I was like, oh my gosh, 20 years together. Who would have imagined that? And he looked at me and he said, hey, in Hollywood years, mm. it's more like 40. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and, and it's true. It's like dog years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In Hollywood making it, you know, any length of time is, is pretty amazing. So, yeah, you know, and we had a lot of um, challenges mm -hmm. in our marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of things that we obviously didn't ask for it, but were presented with. And I tell you, it, it sounds so corny, but it really is true. It made our relationship stronger, uh, the things we went through. And I know we're going to talk about some yeah. of those. It, it just, uh, you know, when you're with the right person. Yes. Uh, I can imagine other people I dated in my life had, we had those same challenges. It mm. would never. Right would never have worked that Bob and I would just, we just adored each other. So, you know, we were when, when willing it's the to right person. Whatever. Yeah. You can weather any storm with the right person. I think right? so. I yeah. really do. Yeah. And that's kind of really comes into the true test, you know, of your love of your relationship is to not look at things that divide you, but how they unite you even more. And, you know, I know that uh, your son was severely or is severely autistic and, right. and, you know, um, I don't know how old he is now, Oh, this is hard for me to say because I think I'm his age. Right. He's, 30, he's 38 years old now. Right. So he was almost 21 when his father passed away. So. Ah, right. Um, you know, autism is a very misunderstood condition and mm -hmm. there are so many different spectrums of it. And, yeah. you know, and uh, there's so many different levels of it. And, I, you know, I would imagine 38 years ago, I, I've interviewed many, many a parent who you know were told, oh, just institutionalize, institutionalize your child and go and have another, right? So I'm mm -hmm. sure you heard that. Um, exactly the same thing. It it was uh, he was diagnosed at UCLA when he was 10 years old. So this would have been 1986 mm -hmm. when he was 10 years old, two years old right. in 1986. And um, you know the doctor whose name I conveniently forget because <laughs> it was. <laughs> It was, I write the whole, the whole thing, obviously in Gilligan's dreams, but basically that was his message was mm -hmm. he's going to destroy your life. Mm -hmm. He's going to take up every ounce of energy that you have. And my recommendation is that you institutionalize him so the two of you can have a life. Well, when you're looking at your precious two year old, right. yes. you know, I mean, just this little darling thing. And, and I, I, I actually remember doing this and this, 
when I think back, I can't believe it, but he told us all this horrible news, you know, how it was going to be such a bad thing for us, um, how our lives were going to be destroyed. And at the end of his big speech, I actually walked over to him and the doctor and looked at him and I said, I am so sorry that you have to give us this news. This must be so difficult. Um, something you do all the time that must be so hard to, to destroy parents' lives this way, yeah. you know? And uh, he looked at me like I'd lost my mind, quite right. frankly. Yeah, like, exactly. You're, you're comforting me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're the one, because I was the one crying, right? Yeah. But Bob gave him, I can't do this verbatim. I did it for the book because I really went back mm. to that moment and gave it a whole lot of thought. But Bob laid a speech on this doctor that was uh, pretty phenomenal. Bob was so smart. This is what people wouldn't imagine right. about him because of Gilligan and Maynard and the characters he played, but he was highly intelligent. And he, in the nicest way, really let this doctor have it. You know, mm -hmm. he said, I can't, oh gosh, I should get it out and read it. I mean, it was just the most amazing thing. All the things he said to him, they were spot on. And uh, we left there knowing that there was no way we were going to institutionalize mm -hmm. our son. And I don't mean that as a criticism to anybody right. who makes a different choice, because like you said, the spectrum is huge. Yes. People's dynamics and their lives are different. Uh, we happen to be in a situation where uh, Bob did not work nine to five. I yes. did not work nine yes. to five. We were both actors. I could give it up, which I did. And Bob basically, um, one reason I wrote the book was I wanted people to know him as a man as opposed to Gilligan and Maynard and all the characters right. he played um, because there was no discussion. He set aside Hollywood and looking for series work and looking for movies and all of that to be with me 24-7, 365, taking care of our son and did that for over 20 years wow. until he passed away. Now he did personal appearances and, um, you know, guest star shots on mm -hmm. things like Alf and Baywatch and shows like that. But when it came to looking for regular work that mm -hmm. would keep him away from Colin and me, um, we never even discussed it. He just mm -hmm. didn't do it, you know? Right. And we were very blessed in that regard because yes. we didn't, uh, had I been a nine to five worker, had he mm -hmm. been, it, the decision might have been um, not institutionalizing, I don't think ever, but but it might have, you know, had to go a different way. We were just very blessed that we were able to to have the freedom to make the choice we did. Yes, yes, definitely blessed. And, you know, the other thing about comedians, you know, people look at comedians and think, oh, they're just a funny guy. They can never be serious. They don't realize how serious or what serious work it is to be a comedian. Right. That's true. And I think, you know, the really good, the Robin Williams yes. and the, the Richard Pryors. And I think um, a lot of funny comes out of torment yes. of some kind. Yes. You know, you, I think you have to find humor in things to be able to survive sometimes. Yeah. And, and so, um, yeah, Bob, Bob was not a Richard Pryor kind of comedian right. or a Robin Williams, but he was a comedic actor. Mm and a physical comedy actor who could just do anything with his body, yes. you know? And um, 
I, you know, I think that's part of what made him so good. But the other side of the island, you know, the book's title mm. is Gilligan's Dreams, The Other Side of the Island. Because the other side of the island was the serious part of Bob. It was right. the devoted father, the committed husband. I mean, he, we were so uh, intertwined when he passed away. I honestly, I'm not saying this to be dramatic. I did not know if I could survive without him. We right. were like this, yes. you know, and it was scary, really scary. Yeah, I, I can absolutely imagine because, you know, it was, you know, together you were one. And, yes. it, and it literally is having, you know, half of you pulled apart. And, and then a kind of a rediscovery of who are you now without him? You know, you know, you're just right on. You know, it's really <laughs> true. I remember, you know, at some point shortly after he died, maybe within the first year, I remember standing in front of the mirror going, who am I for a long time? Well, in my young life, I was an actress mm -hmm. on my own. And then once Bob and I met, we did it together for years before we had a son. We didn't have, we were married six years, I think, when we had uh, Colin. And um, I had been, you know, Bob's wife for almost 30 years, just shy of 30. I had been the mother of an autistic child for, at that point, almost 21 years. And I didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. It's like... I remember thinking, you know, what do I, what do I feel spiritually? Not yes. what do we feel as a couple? What do I feel, you know, politically? What do I, what, what are my goals? Mine? Yes. I've been taking. Who are you life. now? Who are you? I, didn't, I really didn't know. Yeah. And it was the most, oh gosh, remarkable journey to find myself. Mm -hmm. um, it was terrifying. <laughs> it was overwhelming. And when I tell you, it literally sent me to my knees on many occasions. It did. But the journey was, um, in the end, when I saw the light and started finding myself, it was, it was really exciting. And there's so many things about my life now that I would have missed had things not happened the way they did. And and being an author, right? You know exactly all those things um, uh, that I would have missed. That I would have been sad not to yes not to experience. So it's you know it really is. It's I, I believe in positivity, mm -hmm. um, regardless of what the circumstances are. Hard to come by sometimes, mm -hmm. but but without that, um, you know, if I did, the way I wanted, I wanted to just give up and yeah. roll over. And, and play dead and say, I can't do this. That's what I wanted to do. And I probably did that the first six months or so, kind of in a fetal position on my yeah. sofa going, I can't function without Bob. I don't yeah. know what to do. But then as, you know, as I started coming alive and finding me, it was, I remember one day, it was so funny. I was cleaning a table or something and, and I was dusting and I stood up and there was a mirror in front of me. And, and I remember looking in the mirror going, there you are. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Oh, there you are. Because you lose yourself. Oh, God, yes. In caregiving. Yeah. I mean, yeah. anybody out there who's doing any kind of caregiving, you truly do lose yourself. And, and you're on the, the perpetual I, back burner. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And and it's overwhelming, yeah. you know, in every in every caregiving, boy, until you've been there. 
-hmm. It's overwhelming in every way, physically, financially, emotionally, in every way you can imagine, it is draining and depleting. Mm -hmm. And and you have days when when you don't want to get out of bed and think you can't possibly uh, go on. And then other days you pull together. That was another way I was blessed. Mm -hmm. Bob and I, there were days when I would wake up and go, "Uh and he'd go, take today off. Mm -hmm. I'll handle it. And, and the opposite, when he couldn't, there were days he couldn't do it. And he would go, I can't deal with them today because it's very challenging. (laughs) And I did, that's okay, honey. I'll do it today. You know, Lots of days we could do it together. There's some days neither one of us wanted to do it. Yes. But um, but it, it's a very depleting, exhausting, emotional, emotionally draining thing. Yeah. To have to go through that with somebody you love, you know? Right. I, you know, let's talk about your son, Cullen, with the autism, because the, the, there are so many spectrums to autism. And I've, I've interviewed a lot of autistic people that um, are highly productive. And we're really, it's more, you know, the Ashburgers, where we're really just, don't want to mix with society in a lot of ways I don't blame them you know it's <laughs> you know I think I'm they've just got side. it right you know like yeah. why should I bother you know I'll choose a smaller circle um but I've always found them incredibly gifted um in in certain areas you know that that, that focus that they have and the vision that they have you know to be able to direct th- that um, that focus into something what kind of autism do, does your son have it's just severe. When he was first diagnosed in 1986, autism was not a thing. Uh, it wasn't mm-hmm. something that was talked about no. or even diagnosed at that right. time. So um, he was diagnosed as severely retarded, which mm. any parent Doesn't uh, want to hear. Mm-hmm. in the same boat with me, um, yeah. we don't like that terminology no. because it, it just brings up an image that's not true. Right. Um, I can tell that, Col- I mean, Colin is smart. Now, Colin is nonverbal to this mm-hmm. day. I've never had a conversation with him. I don't know what he thinks. I don't know what he feels. I don't know if he has dreams. It's very, um, I have moments still. Mm-hmm. I've come to accept it over all these years, but there are moments still when it just breaks my heart that right. I, I've never heard, I love you, mom. I've right. never, um, heard I hate you mom right I, there, was a, there was a point where I would have taken anything yes. you know he could have no matter what he said as long as he said it um but oh, I kind of lost my track I got sidetracked in my head yeah, it's okay um, I remember when he was about four years old we were doing trying to do Halloween with him he never cared but mm-hmm. we were trying to do Halloween and Bob was videoing I had him in this little mouse really cute little mouse costume and and I had to put on one piece at a time and walk in the room, let his dad, and then we'd go back out and put on the little, and then we'd walk back in. So finally we had the whole costume on and we walked in and I said to Colin, as we were walking, I said, can you say, I love you, mom? And he, you know, vocalized. And in that moment, I didn't hear it. Uh, but when we, when we played the video uh, back, he actually said, Oh, uh, mom. Uh, I mean, it was the be- and that's the only thing. Oh, I'm going to get teary. Yeah. That's the only time he ever said it. And I missed it in the moment. I oh, thank God it. it was being filmed. Thank God it, was, it was being filmed. Was, it's there. Yeah. I was taking it, you know, the big thing on your shoulder. Yes, yes. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but uh, back to the original question. Um, 
he was diagnosed as severely retarded. We were told to institutionalize him and all that. And then as we got, I think it was probably into the 90s when doctors uh, started speaking of it as autism, as opposed to brain injury or um, any of the other terms that we had heard. So he would be on the severe, uh, he, he would be on the, on the big end of the, of the spectrum, the, the tough end of the spectrum. And Bob and I, all oh, after Rain Man came out, mm. now that's when autism got to be, I think, a lot more. Yes, understood or, or even, you know, identified in any way, right? Exactly, exactly. So after we saw that movie, we wanted Colin to be a savant so badly. <laughs> yes. we, tried, we, brought, we brought in keyboards thinking, oh, maybe he'll play, yeah. you know. We did all kinds of things um, and that never happened for us, mm. but he is truly the sweetest soul. I know any mother in my position would, even with his tantrums, even mm. with the challenges, he is the purest soul I have ever known. Mm. I mean, what you see, his purity, um, and I know we're all born into a fallen world and all mm. of that, but his purity is just amazing to me there's no manipulation no mm. um no lying or cheating or trying to get around you or he doesn't have that mm. exactly capability mm. you know he just I mean, if he's mad he's mad mm -hmm. and if he's happy he's happy and he did a little thing when he oh gosh he started when he was about three maybe four um he would do this thing where he would come up to me or come up to his dad and put his forehead against hours and do this <laughs> and then open his eyes right into ours really big and he kept doing that and bob looked at me and he said we we have to make that into something mm -hmm. that can't just be this random right because it means something mm -hmm. because he he's doing it very purposefully you know and so his form of kissing he, maybe yeah well he had big blue eyes mm -hmm. and so we started started calling that a shot of blue and a shot of blue means I love you. Ah. So he would come up and do that and, you know, open his eyes really big. And we would go, a shot of blue means I love you. And I love you too, buddy. And he would just grin. And mm. to this day, 38 years, 36 years later, um, when I go over to visit, he comes over, puts his head against mine. And if he's really loving me, if he's, mm -hmm. I brought him a favorite meal or something. If he's really loving me, this goes on for like two or three minutes. Yeah. This part. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And then finally, and don't break it in the middle of it. Don't break right. away. Don't talk because then you have to start over from the very beginning, you yes. know? So I thought that was so, I was so happy that Bob thought to turn that into something mm -hmm. that, that would be a way of communication, mm -hmm. a way for him to say, I love you. And that really is. It was almost like when Bob said that, Colin went, you got it. Okay. Yes. yes. You know, I can't say it, but you got it. Yay, yeah. Dad. Yes. Know. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm communicating. And, you know, I think this is kind of a metaphor for life, really, that we all communicate in different ways. I mean, we're all expecting to hear words or articulation of something, and sometimes we can't. You know, we, we may yeah. have all the words, but we can't articulate it. And I think it's sometimes if we look at each other's body action and really what we're trying to, you know, to portray, then maybe 
we would listen differently. And I think that's one thing I've learned with autistic children is they teach us to listen differently, to observe differently. Maybe we would just listen, period. Yes. Don't you think that a lot of times we're hearing, mm -hmm. but we're waiting for our turn to talk. Right. And yes. we're thinking in our heads about what we're going to say Instead when we of, talk next. Yeah. I feel like, you know, having a child like Colin, again, I think there are parents who would totally agree with me. It, it's not rationalization, though it probably sounds that way, to... It just makes you look at everything mm -hmm. differently. The miracle of the human body. Yeah. If, if, if the ingoing pathways are working, but the outgoing pathways aren't, then you're going to have this communication issue. You know, if, I mean, any of us know that have ever had, you know, you pull the small of your back, mm -hmm. it affects everything in your life. I mean, yes. just the miracle of when everything is okay, because when Colin was born, we did what every parent does. We counted fingers and toes and, you know, he looked fine. There was nothing wrong physically. And we just thought, you know, we've got a perfectly healthy baby. And the problems started showing up fairly early when he wasn't hitting milestones, mm -hmm. you know, when he should. Um, so we started recognizing that something, something wasn't quite right. We took him to, um, Dr. T. Barry Brasselton. Do you, have you ever heard of him? No. He has written, he's gone now, but oh my gosh, to me, it was like meeting a rock star. <laughs> I can't tell you this. He had the most beautiful smile. He loved children. He had a, 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 a TV show at that time on Lifetime called What Every Baby Knows. Mm -hmm. He's written, if you go to the library, he's written, oh, so many books on child development and all that. So when uh, we were up in New England, he was in Cambridge and we were up in New England and, and I told Bob, I said, I'm going to call his office and see if we can get in to see him because I mean, that would be like, I don't know. It was like, he was going to save the day. You know, mm. it just felt like that's what it called his office. A man receptionist answered and I said who I was and I dropped Bob's name, which I didn't, mm -hmm. didn't often do, but I thought if that's going to get us in, mm -hmm. I'll do, mm -hmm. do whatever's my, necessary. Mm -hmm. My husband is doing a play out on Cape Cod and he's going to be finished on so-and-so date. We would love, we have a son with, you know, developmental issues and we would love to be able to talk to you. And the man goes, um, well, Mrs. Denver, I'm a big fan of your husband and I would be happy to work you in. And I said, well, if you would tell Dr. Brasselton how much I, and he said, this is Dr. Brasselton. <laughs> I went, you're answering your own phone? I was blown away. And yes, he was answering his own phone. And uh, his office was in his home. And he saw us, it was like in the basement, nice basement of his home. And, and we went there and he could not have been, he was the first one to tell us, uh, to really tell us, tell us that we needed early intervention, that there was a problem. But he didn't, not being Colin's pediatrician, he didn't want to totally, you know, capsize the boat. He right. wanted us to go to UCLA and, and have um, a doctor there do go through the process and, and let us know at the end of that what had happened. But he stayed in touch with me for years. He would, mm -hmm. he would write me and ask how Colin was doing. And, you know, that was really, that was one of the highlights of my life was getting to meet yeah. that man. Better than That's Tom support. Selleck, I want you to know. <laughs> and it was pretty exciting meeting Tom Selleck. I can tell you. 
<laughs> we never know the people who are going to have that impact, do we? You know, those people yeah. that make a difference. And it's like, um, and also we've got to have gumption. You know, that yeah. I think we live too much of our life on apology. And, you know, yeah. it's people like, you need to know something. Why can't you reach out? Why can't yes. you reach out and ask, you know, oh, but they're big and they're this or they're a star. They're a human being with a skill or with, with knowledge or with something that inspires you. Why can't you reach out? Right. And exactly. it's, we put these barriers in front of ourselves. And, I, you know, I know that with, you know, many a parent of autistic children, they've had to just delete those barriers and go whatever, you know, I never would have done this you know, in yes. my other life, but in this life, this is for my child and I am going to do whatever I need to do. Well, any mother knows they put that baby in your arms mm -hmm. and you know that you could scratch eyes out if you had to. <laughs> yes. You, know, you would do anything, anything to protect that child. I mean, that's just a, you know, and when I wrote Gillian's Dreams, um, part of the reason was there's some kind of comfort for when you have watched a person on television mm -hmm. your entire life, mm -hmm. you ran home from school every day to mm -hmm. see if they'd gotten rescued. I mean, there was a time when it was on five and six times a day, Yes, uh, sometimes against itself on different channels. And when you find out that that person that you admired, that you mm -hmm. thought was funny, that you thought never had problems in his or her life, and you yes. find out that they're going through something very similar to what you're going through. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of comfort in that. Yeah. And I don't really understand what it is. I just know that when Colin was diagnosed and I, who had a famous husband, found out that John Travolta yeah. had an autistic son. Yes. And Tony Braxton mm -hmm. had an autistic son and Jenny McCarthy. And, you know, that was comforting to me. It's like, oh. Because you didn't feel alone. It's not just us. Yes. You know, and being a celebrity, being well-known, having a famous face doesn't, you know, people, I think, I would think this, think you're protected from everything. Right. Nothing bad nope. is ever going to happen to you because mm -hmm. you, you've got all the money in the world, yeah. not the fame, the, the fortune, <laughs> yeah. you've got contacts, you know, nothing, but that's not necessarily true. I mean, like you said, that's what made this come to mind. We are in the end, all human beings yes. and we have children. Uh, you know, some celebrities have drug addicted children or children yeah. who, you know, we all face things. And I wanted to write the book partly because um, obviously all for Bob, because I yes. want people to know him. But but also for people, if there was any kind of comfort in reading our story and going, I went through something exactly like that or mine is very different, not as bad as that or, yes. you know, um, or, or it could I be, you know, be this again so much misunderstanding because you know there's a lot of people that will take on when they have what they call a defect in a child which is you know very cruel but they oh it's my fault or it's your fault something to do with your genes it's your side of the family and you go in the blame game and it's like mm -hmm. there is no blame here you know yeah. it, it it just is and there is always a reason for something and you know as you say you look at celebrities who are open about the difficulties they're facing, whether it's autistic children, drug addiction, their own addiction. I mean, look at Betty Ford, you know, she started the claim open and clear about it. It gave, right. gives 
people permission to be human, to have feelings, but to also to educate people on what the issue is. You know, what is autism? How come there's so many different spectrums? What are the challenges? And it also, I think, then helps other people that may know somebody. Oh, yes. okay, all right. I know that they feel isolated and they can't talk to anyone. But now I have a better understanding. You know, I can actually say, is there any way I can help? Is there any way I can do something? And that is huge, isn't it? That's so important. And, you know, it, sometimes it would be a matter of um, having done it for decades. I know what I'm talking about. Yes. It would be a matter of um, maybe, let's say, coming to the house. And mom doesn't even have to leave. Right. But you just sit somewhere near yes. where the child is or the per child, no matter how old or young. And let mom go take a hot bath. Right. And maybe just stretch out on the bed and read a couple of chapters yeah. in a book. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you can do more than that, if you feel comfortable in, in spending a day and letting mom go do what she wants, great, or dad, mm -hmm. um, depending. But there are all kinds of ways. You know, I found that people uh, that I knew really well that loved me a lot. I'm thinking of a girlfriend and my sister-in-law that when they, they both had babies about the same time I did and their babies were fine and mine wasn't. Mm -hmm. And they didn't, and these people loved me. I mean, they yes. were, and they didn't know how to act. No. And I remember my sister-in-law once we were all going to my parents um, and bringing our, our babies who were little then. And um, my sister-in-law called and she was talking to my mother and she, you know, I don't know if we should come. Because how is it going to make Dreema and Bob feel mm. when they see Brian, their child, who is fine? I said, give me the phone. Yes. <laughs> I told her. I said, I am not going to miss my nephew yeah. growing up and watch him and his milestones. Because you can't do this to me. That would be punishment. Right. And I, you know, I want when we're together, Colin is not normal, obviously. But I want us to carry on as normally as, as we can. possibly can. And whatever the abnormality is, mm -hmm. Bob and I will handle it. Yeah. If there's a fit thrown or, you yeah. know, a, a, a something like that, then Bob and I will handle it. But I, you can't stay away from me because right. you, yeah. you're afraid it's going to hurt me because the other is going to hurt me much more. Right. Is for you I, think, to, I think that's a huge thing, you know, to bring up because the fact that, um, a lot of the time, and it's like when somebody dies, nobody knows what to say. Yes. Or, you know, somebody's going through something. But I don't know what to say. And, you know, best I say nothing. Best I don't do anything. And this right. is the time somebody just needs you to say nothing, but just be there. Be exactly. there for them. Or if, right? you, if, you, if you just say, if there is anything I can yeah. do and mean it. I mean it. You know, Follow up on it. Yeah. Call me right away. Because generally, I know in my case, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but I would have had to be in real dire straits mm. to call on somebody to help. But it always made me feel less alone mm. and better able to cope when somebody said, if you need me, I'll be yeah. there. Yeah. And, and, and they would have had I, and there have been times that I have actually, you know, reached out for help, but it's so important. You don't have to do anything. Nobody expects you to fix it. Right. I think men especially think that, yes. you know, if they can't fix the problem, then they should just, but that nobody, nobody's looking to you.
for the answers or for... It, it's not a fixable problem. It's a manageable problem. Yes. And it's how do you manage it and how can you help the people managing it? Right. That's the thing, because exactly. it's not going to go away. There is no cure for it. It's a no. literally of a question of managing it. And of course, from day to day, it can change. But the more yes. skills you have, the more management skills that you have, the easier it is because you know what to do in those situations. And, you know, really, that, again, is is kind of a reflection on life in general, isn't it? Well, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're not going to get through life without something, whether right. people get oh. ill or separate or this that there's something that's going to happen to you and right. and some things are permanent they're going to stay um, right and and so you have to learn how to manage it uh, and once you learn how to manage it it kind of becomes something that is a friend and you you know you learn how to not beat yourself up about it not punish yourself about it not persecute yourself about it and just get on with it because you know how yeah. to manage it Look for the yes. look for the good things in it, because there's always something good in it, even in something that you perceive as bad. There's uh, there. That's so true. And sometimes you don't see the good in the moment. No. Or you don't see the reason in the moment. Right. I know in my case, um, it was maybe 10 years after Bob died. I'm going to tell this story because. Um, I, I tell it in my book and it was very, um, it was very overwhelming in a good way, mm. but um, I have a, a radio station called Little Buddy Radio. Mm -hmm. And at one time I had a morning show on there. So on the morning show, I tried to always do positivity and live your life with gratitude and all those things. Uh, always tried to keep the show upbeat and help people get through their day and start their day well and all that so we were working on gratitude at this mm -hmm. time so for about a year doing this morning show after the show was over i would take my dog for a walk and practice gratitude i would thank the universe for the blue skies and the mountain breeze and the sunshine and the fact that i had a home and my son has care and mm -hmm. all those different things just the you know things that you would normally and one day i went out with my dog with no forethought no um I mean, nothing. This came out of nowhere. I was walking down the road, kind of a private road, but still a road. And suddenly I felt my knees and I was crying like a baby, mm -hmm. thanking God for all the difficult parts of my life. Mm -hmm. And I really, uh, the uh, Colin's diagnosis, mm -hmm. because I could see in that moment, that his diagnosis had put me on a path mm -hmm. that I didn't realize I was on for the longest time, um, that, that I was so grateful to be on. The fact that I'd had a wonderful marriage for almost 30 years yes. where Bob had left me, even though I didn't feel this at the very beginning, Bob had left me well-equipped to go forward, even though I didn't feel like I was. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I was just so grateful to God for all the hard parts. Yes. And that was when I went, okay, it took me a while to get mm. to this spot on my knees on the side of the road, crying like a baby for about 35, 40 minutes, uh, unable to stop. But it gave me an appreciation for everything hard that I'd been yeah. through because you don't learn when you're no. on the mountains. No, you do not. No, you, you, you do you not. You learn when you're in the valleys. You learn what you're made of and 
how to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And, and when you feel like you can't take another breath and keep going, somehow you do. And that's how you learn. And that's the value, I think. And in that moment, all of that became really, really clear to me. Uh, for all those years with Colin, you know, I was, I would be like, why my child? Why yes. my child? You know, and I'm sure a lot of us do that. The only child I ever had, why mm -hmm. couldn't we have a normal mother-son experience? Mm -hmm. But then um, in that moment, I just understood it all and, and was grateful for the hard parts. And I, that's hard when you're in them, you know, I know. But I know. it's like you said, something good comes from yes. it. And, and you know, the, this, this, you know, this is saying that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And you know, oh, I, that, that I know, I know, I know. But but when you actually understand what that means, and that means I was there, and I was in despair, right. and and I chose to find the courage and the strength to discover right. my abilities, discover my skills, discover my purpose to discover exactly. me and then I stepped into that in that true abundance and I look back to where I was and where I am today I am grateful right. for everything that got me here exactly exactly oh, that's that's perfect because it is I don't know it was just such an overwhelming thing to to feel that gratitude I've been working on gratitude for all the good things all yes. that time, you know, to feel gratitude for all of it. Yes. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And to know that, that, you know, all of that had made me the woman I became or I was becoming. And yes. all of that had um, been valuable, such valuable lessons I learned. And, and to know that, that I wasn't alone, even yes. when I felt like I was, you know, yes. I felt so alone at times and, and it's a scary thing when you have a really smart husband, like I did, who was an avid reader and read everything. And, and, you know, when Colin was diagnosed, Bob was, we both were, but reading and, and yeah. trying to get all the information we could. And, and to have that person, that person who has your back, who loves you more than anything, who's there that you can turn to and go, what are we going to do? Yeah. To have that taken away. And to know that everything was up to me. Every decision made on Colin's behalf was mine to make. And I didn't have Bob's good brain to bounce right. it off of, you know. But you did. That was so terrifying. Yeah, I know, but you did because it was there in your subconscious. It just had to you to activate, right? And, exactly. and, 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 you know, I'm an empathic person and I know very much his presence is with you even now. Yes. You, you can feel no, it. Really you can feel it very, very strongly True. with you now. And he always yeah. will be, you know, he's got your back, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Probably in ways that he wouldn't have been able to yeah. here yes. on this earth, you know? Yeah. So no, that really, it really is true. It just felt very lonely at first, but yes. like I said, he left me equipped mm. um, in ways I didn't really understand. I was equipped to be able to, to keep on keeping on, you know, yeah. and, that and that moment on my knees on the side of the road, it just all came together, and it was the most cleansing mm. feeling. Mm -hmm. It was a weight. Now that's not to say everything's perfect. I still no. have moments when I'm overwhelmed right. and all of that, but a weight was lifted, and I just felt, I felt like I was walking down that road with with my dog, and 
my husband and yeah. and everything good and bad. I mean, to have to have. Oh gosh, how do I, just to have thankfulness for the hard parts was yes. such an astonishing thing to me. You also because I've not were, been thankful for the hard parts, right. you know. But also to have the hard parts, but have such a strong partner to go with, through it with you. You know, I right. I do know many people whose husbands left them uh, because that of the child. And, you know, now they're now left entirely alone in doing this. They've got to be everything. And you know how hard it is. And, uh, you, you know, yet they chose. They chose to battle. They chose to battle and, and go through it. Um, and, of course, not everybody is equipped for it. But they don't know if they're equipped for it if they don't try. <laughs> right? They could well, try. That's for, sure. <laughs> that's for sure. And, and you know, you're going to have good days where yeah. you can, you're just like, yes, I can do and you're going, I still have days when yes. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. Bob, where are you? Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, but no, it, it's, it's very, I, oh gosh, I have always been so blessed by Bob. Another reason I wrote the book, because he would never have left me no. to deal with this by myself, ever. No, not in his character. And when I say to the women out there who have had that happen, mm -hmm whose husbands get up and leave and you hear of it a lot. Mm -hmm. We did a program with Colin um, out of Philadelphia for um, a lot of years at the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential. And we were on that program for about five years and you'd go back every four months for revisits. And I talk about this in the book too. Um, but you'd go back, you know, for revisits and you'd see families, you start out with a, a, a group and, and then you'd go back and some of the group would be there. I can't tell you how many times over the years that we went back and the mom was there by herself Yeah, because the husband split and I can't, there's no part of me that, yeah. that can understand that. And I know um, how blessed I was yeah. that that didn't happen to me because there are people who, who I don't want to say men, especially, I don't want to pick on men yeah. because there are wonderful men who like Bob, who step up and come through, but gosh, to be left alone with it, ladies. Yes, you. I, I really, I could cry for you because that would be so hard. I can't yeah. imagine. What did Bob die from? Um, well, it started out uh, throat cancer, mm -hmm. uh, and then it through his voice box, mm. and it uh, in preparation for the surgery, the radical neck surgery to remove his voice box, which for an actor, can you yeah. imagine that? Yeah. And for the actor's wife, when you know you're never going to hear his voice again, right. that was, I couldn't imagine anything that could be much worse. Um, but in the process of getting ready for that surgery, they discovered uh, a heart problem, which I now suspect Bob knew he had, mm -hmm. but didn't share with me because he wouldn't want to worry me. Maybe I, I don't know what he, he didn't talk about it. So I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, but between this surgery, he was doing quite well. And though we would have had to write notes and things, mm. I think he could have survived that. But one month later to the day, he went through quadruple bypass and he just never bounced back from that. So it was right. about, and I write all about that in my book, but it was about um, six months from diagnosis to passing away. Mm. So a really tough six months. Yeah. And I had a heart attack in that six-month period, about four months into it, 
Um, I was in Winston-Salem with, uh, I'm in West Virginia and everybody here goes to Winston-Salem to uh, Wake Forest Baptist uh, when they have serious problems. So I was there with Bob and my son, our son, was here with caregivers that I did not know very well at the time. We had not, we had just gotten a caregiver. Oh gosh, about eight months before Bob was diagnosed, we finally gave in mm -hmm. and said, yes, we'll let somebody come in and help us because the doctor looked at, he came to do a, a house visit with Colin and he looked at us and he said, how long have you been doing this? And we told him and he said, you can't keep doing this. You're going to have to have somebody come in and help. Yeah. So uh, at that point, 20, almost 21 years into it, we did that. And, but I didn't know this caregiver that well. Now at this point, he's been with Colin for 18 years. Wonderful. So again, yeah. I'm so blessed. Mm -hmm. But at that time he was brand new to me. Mm -hmm. So I was there with my husband who was fighting for his life. And my son was up here, took a fall, broke his arm. So I was trying to go back and forth between the two. It, it, it was the stress finally caught oh, yeah. up with me. Yeah. And, and, and it wasn't um, just that stress. It was accumulation of 21 years. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. It wasn't yeah. just that. It was mm. all of that. And, yeah. and I ended up in the hospital room next to Bob. <laughs> It was a, and the nurses, we had such a great love story down there. The nurses were so wonderful. They just couldn't believe my devotion to him. Mm -hmm. And of course, again, I had the freedom to be able to be there every day and all the time. And um, so after I had the heart attack and I was in the room next to him, they pushed me, they took my bed and pushed it into his room, our beds next to each other. Yes. So we could sleep and hold hands. Aww. Isn't Wonderful. that so sweet? Yeah, that's that's respect. Um, I've kind of forgotten yeah. that. It was mm. really, it's really yeah. special. It meant a lot to the both of you. It did. Yeah. For sure. So uh, so Colin has a caregiver now, and you say, does he live with you, or is he living elsewhere? He, lives, he lived um, until about four years after Bob passed away. Uh, Colin and the caregivers lived upstairs in my house. Um, but before he got sick, Bob had, there was a house, uh, the only, I'm on top of the mountain here in West Virginia. So the only house close to me is the house across the road and it went up for sale and Bob and I bought it. Uh, Bob's idea, he was planning ahead and which I don't know that I would have done. I was, you know, when you're up yeah. to here yeah. and it, do I want to know, take anything more on? Yes. Yeah. But I'm not even thinking ahead. Yeah. Right. Like exactly. what's going to happen if something happens to Bob, how, you know, so um, anyway, we bought this um, little house across from me and he lives there now. Mm -hmm. So it's Colin's house um, with caregivers. He's got three, two of them have been with him 18 years. And one of them has been with them like 12 years mm -hmm. and they, you know, for a parent, there's nothing. They love Colin. Mm -hmm. uh, they know him really, really well. I know them really well. Right. My son is nonverbal. So mm -hmm. it's very important to me that I know and trust right. the people who are taking care of him. So it's um, extended family he, now. They are. The, yeah. David, the one who's the one, who, David and his wife, um, Sarah, actually, David, is like a son to me. Mm. I just, I think of him that way. Mm -hmm. He's not all that much older than Colin, maybe four or five years. And, um, and so, you know, it, he's, he's like a son. I don't know what I would do without him. Mm -hmm. And I, they have never left me in all these years. Bob will be gone 17 years in September. And in those 17 years, they have never once left me high and dry, 
-hmm. during the snowstorm. Mm -hmm. so they're always there. They have never left me for one second um, taking care of Colin, who's gotten much better, you know, in his yeah. 30s, he started. It took a while. Yeah. Oh, but he loved it when he moved to his own little house. Yes. He loved it. Um, he really, I think there's a part of the human being mm. that whether you can function on your own or not, you have that independent thing in you that doesn't want to live with mom anymore. You yes. Know, that, that wants to. So I don't know when he got, he moved over there when he was about 24, 25 and uh, late in his twenties, things started calming down. And, and now in his thirties, he's, you know, I'm sure they have behaviors sometimes, mm -hmm. but nothing like Bob and I have right. when we were doing it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, sometimes you're so close to it too, you know, you know, having that outside help kind of lets off the steam, lets off the pressure. Right. Yes. So, you know, it's, um, I had um, a friend who had an Asperger's and uh, a severely autistic child with also OCD and a few other problems. And she oh. would have the radio on the computer on and the TV on at the same time and would be doing this and doing that and had eating problems and then would have the violent outbursts. And she fought for help for so long. And eventually um, the, the association bought a house to move her into with caregivers and then to move in a couple of other people as well. So that it was cheaper in the long run to have them in a house with the caregivers than it would be to put them in any other institution. And she right. thrived. She thrived from that. You know, suddenly she was independent from mum. And, and what mum didn't realize she was doing was, are you okay? Is everything all right? And that anxiety all the time was actually creating things, you know, to be even more tense. And now it's just much easier. She can visit and there isn't that same kind of stress and i'm i'm a reader and so i had a friend with an autistic child and nonverbal couldn't speak um high energy and i got him to turn the cards for me and i was able to read and see what was going on in his life that i could tell her that she obviously that he couldn't you know portray and i managed to get 45 minutes attention out of him which blew her away that i got wow. that length of time and i was able to tell her what was what was because her husband left you know what was causing the problem and how he felt secure with the caregiver more than the mother because the mother was worried about the father leaving and was it enough and all of that and her tension was causing him tension and, and with the caregiver, it was exactly and so it, it she said like it, this is the only time she's ever had what's going on in his mind you know yeah, just because yeah. I was able to see that and uh, and it gave her a great deal of release to understand that so I can understand when they're non-verbal you know yes. how they cannot uh, articulate it you know it's I know Bob and I were both of us were really hesitant about giving up control right and I understand parents who feel that way believe me we did the same thing um you first of all nobody's going to love your kid the way you do right um secondly nobody's going to understand because you've been you know deciphering things yes for his whole life um we didn't want to give up control and when the doctor said we had to mm. and the doctor of course was right because obviously bob was sick yes and, and you too yeah. i just wasn't seeing it you yeah. know and um when we finally relinquished now they were still in the house with us so yeah. it wasn't like we were that far away right but we had David coming 
eight hours a day, I think, on weekdays. And this went on for two weeks. And we went to her and we said, do you have any other friends who do this kind of work who might want to do weekends? <laughs> so when, after Bob passed away, when we moved Colin four or five years later, when we moved him next door or across the road, um, I, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but at that point he had had caregivers. So I was used to, I still had control because he yeah. was here, but he moved out and uh, I won't go into the details. David did it in the most awesome way mm -hmm. to move Colin over there bit by bit. Mm -hmm. So that one night I'm sitting here like 10 o'clock at night, my phone rings, it's David, the caregiver. And I, I picked it up and I said, what are you calling me for? Because I thought he was upstairs, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They had finished moving the last of Colin's things without me knowing it over there. They were going to spend the first night in the house over there. I walked around this house I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I turned on the music. <laughs> I blasted it as loud as I could because loud music bothered him, right? right. I danced. This sounds horrible, I guess. But no, it isn't I, horrible at all. I danced all over this house. And the next morning when I woke up, I didn't wake up to screaming yeah. and Colin throwing fits. Mm -hmm. The house was quiet. I slept as long as I wanted to sleep. Yeah. And then I woke up and it was, it, it was like celebrating. Now, like your friend, I was over there a lot. Checking yes. to make sure everything yeah. was okay. But for anybody out there who's struggling mm -hmm. with that decision, um, there is a, a, getting your freedom back mm -hmm. is pretty huge. And yeah. again, I know that I've got a wonderful setup where he's close by. Mm -hmm. My son has seizures. He has grandma seizures. So you know, if he has a seizure, they call or text me and I can go right over. I have a really good setup and I yes. know that, but, but there is something to getting out from under that constant yes. pressure that is because the pressure, I mean, I'm living proof. The pressure is going to get to you sooner or later. Right. It is. Yes. I really and, do believe that. and you know, they, it was kind of part from where you started where they didn't know enough about autism and you know you need to institutional your child and no we're never going to do that we're going to be there for a child and then you know it it, it was kind of a step in process of of people understanding it how to treat people with it and but you know for you guys it's like no nobody knows better than us we're going yeah. through it and it's like exactly you know if you allow other people in even to learn from you you know they've they've got their own specialty but to come in to learn from you and let go of the reins you know right. it's it is it allows you to have a life for you and i think that's you know this is a lot even with people without you know with children without uh without any special needs you know you've got right. the parents that are just holding on so tight especially if it's a single parent where they have to be both parents and right. they're, so, they're so anxious to give their children the very best and right. they and they give themselves nothing but what that teaches the child is that it's okay to sacrifice yourself and they in turn good. go and do it themselves you know, without knowing it, that pattern is installed there. So placing value upon yourself and your own well-being is absolutely essential. It just took you 25 years to get there. <laughs> <laughs> no, looking back, you know, once we once we gave up the control yeah. and and we should have yeah. we should have let people in. Now he has half sisters who would come 
and visit. And for the time they were here, the weekend or maybe a week, um, there would be a, somebody else at least would be around. But what you did for your friend's child, yeah. I mean, sometimes new blood. Yes. Because Colin, I'm telling you, Colin got sick of looking at our faces. I'm pretty right. sure. Yes, yes. I hate to say that. It broke my heart. But he would put us in the office upstairs and shut the door and test it to see if it was locked or not. And if it wasn't locked, he would let us know. He wanted us locked inside the office. So, <laughs> you know, we spent a lot of time locked inside. I would need to go cook dinner and I would be like, every time I try to get out of here, he's like, back in. You know? <laughs> so it, he got really tired of us. And, yes. and that makes sense. Yes. You know? Yes. But I now, don't know why I couldn't see it then. But, well, because you know. you're, you're a mother and you're a father and you want the best for your child and and you think you are the, the only ones, especially when you had so little support and information to start off with. People right, yeah, now yeah. facing this, there are right. resources, there is information, there's a lot more dialogue going on. And so they know they don't have to do it alone. But you were right. kind of pioneers there. Right, because you didn't know what you were up against, right? And you had each other. As long as we've got each other, we're okay. And it was, um, you know, you thought you had it down. And it's only when hindsight that you look yeah. down and go, yeah, we should have let people in earlier. Yes, and that's why I wanted to say that for the, the families out there who might be mm. struggling with that right now, you know, is it, there's something to be said for having a moment to yourself and a moment oh, yes. to take a hot bath or yeah. read a book or go out to dinner together. Yes. Bob and I, for all those years, all those years, we did four, four things together. And that is, um, they were big things. They were kind of exciting things. One was, no, twice it was the White House. We were invited to the White House. So, so we did do those, but only four things in about 20 and a half years. Yeah. Did we go out and we didn't, you know, just go out to dinner just to have dinner. And I don't know, you just, you, you're only human and, and there's only so much you can draw on as a right. human being. Mm -hmm. You're going to deplete yourself completely. Absolutely. And, yeah. And you need to, you know, you really do need to, to be aware of that and try to find something for you. Yeah. Balance. If you're balance. blessed enough to have the spouse yeah. still there. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you sacrificed yourselves for your son, right? Yeah. And, and because you had each other, you didn't deem it as a sacrifice. And it's so, true. You and know, it's so, kind of what the doctor said mm -hmm. in his speech to us. You know, you're going to, yeah. yeah. not our lives weren't destroyed, but right. they were certainly turned upside down. Yeah. And Bob and I happily, thank you, Lord, loved each other enough mm -hmm. that, that it didn't destroy that at all. Right. But um, not in any way shape or form but it you know if we yeah if we had, even if we'd had part-time help you know yes. somebody come in on the weekend or somebody mm. come in a couple of days a week and mm. you know but so folks you know if you're in that situation give it some thought because it's not it doesn't mean you don't love your kid it doesn't no. mean you don't care it doesn't mean any of that no no and the thing is you're not meant to be alone going through this you're not yes. meant to be alone Right. Exactly. This is why it takes a village to raise an ordinary child, never mind an extraordinary <laughs> child. You know, you have to That's call right. on the village. <laughs> That's right. It does take a village. Wow. 
Tell us about oh, the other about some things I've never talked about on interviews. I love it. <laughs> Let's talk about your other books. Uh, and, you right. know, obviously now you've got the freedom, you know, your son's been taken care of and which came first, you know, did the, uh, the four bears and the box, the Zen and now, or did Gilligan's dreams come first? You know, what, what prompted the, the actual writing? Well, Gilligan's dreams came first. And that was because before he was ever sick, Bob said to me once, he said, look, he thought I was a good writer. And he said, honey, if you ever want, want to write our story, I'm telling you now it's okay. Mm -hmm. But if you do, tell it like it was, warts and all. Yes. Don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. Don't try to make it pretty. Tell it like it was. So that's exactly what I did. Uh, people, if you read the reviews on Amazon, people got from the book. Oh, it, it's so gratifying. They mm. got what I wanted people when they read the book. I wanted to feel like they were sitting across the table from me and we're having a cup of coffee. Yes. And I, whatever the story is at that part of the book, I wanted to feel like I was telling them that. So I would write it. Let's say I'd write a chapter and I'd read it and I would think, Dream of that sounds like, you know, an author writing yeah. a book. Yeah. So if you were telling this, how would you say it if you were telling it? And I would go back and, and redo it. And so many people have commented on that. Yeah. That it's like they're sitting having a conversation with me, which is exactly what I wanted. Right. So that part was good. But that was because Bob um, told me, gave me permission, said I could absolutely do that if I ever wanted to. And then I don't know if you know Homer Hickam, mm -hmm. but Homer Hickam wrote the book Rocket Boys mm -hmm. that was made into the movie October Sky. Yes. Um, with Jake Gyllenhaal and Laura Dern. And it was... Um, it was Homer's uh, memoir, his true story about being a young boy in a coal mining town in West Virginia, seeing Sputnik go overhead mm -hmm. and deciding he wanted to do rockets. Well, he became a NASA engineer and right. trained the shuttle astronauts and all this wonderful stuff. And he's a friend of mine. And he encouraged me. He said, look, uh, when I first met him, he was a big fan of Bob's. And he said, you know, I think you should write the book. So mm -hmm. that's how that one came to be. Now, Four Bears in a Box, which is a multi-award-winning, international award-winning children's book, um, that all came from Bob. He never got to see it, but it is uh, it was pretty amazing to me. Colin, when we were taking care of Colin, loved Dr. Seuss. Mm -hmm. He loved rhyming books. And so, oh, when I tell you I read Dr. Seuss, <laughs> all of them tens of thousands of times. Mm -hmm. I am not exaggerating. Mm -hmm. I used to be able to do them all by heart. But um, anyway, so Bob came to me one day and he said, look, I think you should write a children's book. And I said, you do, do you really? And he's like, no, I think you should. And I said, well, I could try, but I said, I'd have to come up with, you know, something, a concept that little kids would like. And he said, I already have the title for you. And I was like, okay, what is it? And he said, four bears and a bag. And I said, what would four bears be doing in a bag? Mm. And he goes, that's what you got to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> that was very Bob. So I did. I figured it out. I wrote the story, you know, typewritten pages and all that. <clears throat> Read it to him. He liked it. And then Colin got 16, 17, harder to handle, challenging. And of course, then Bob got sick. Bears got put away didn't think about them again until uh, 19, 19, 
2019, um, I was spring cleaning and I was going through a drawer and there was a manila envelope and I wondered what it was, opened it up, took it out. There were um, the typewritten pages along with pencil sketches that Bob had done of what he imagined the bears would look like. Mm -hmm. So I looked at it. At this point, I have a manager and I called him and I said, I wrote a children's book. And he goes, when? And I said, 20 years ago. And he goes, what? <laughs> and I said, Bob inspired this like 20 years ago. Can we get it to a publisher? So he said, yes, we got it to a publisher. She liked it, took it right away. Uh, now the title changed from uh, Four Bears in a Bag to Four Bears in a Box. Uh, because 20 years later, um, the publisher called and they said, you know, children aren't going to know what a brown paper bag is. <laughs> and I said, well, that's true. And they said, so would you mind changing the title? And I was very married mm. to emotionally married to four bears in a bag. And I said, let me think about it overnight. What do we want to change it to? And they said, four bears in a box. And suddenly I thought, children love boxes. Yes. They like boxes more yes. than whatever came out of the box. Mm -hmm. And that opens up a whole new, the box can be a reward for good behavior and minding mom and mm -hmm. in their imagination, it can become anything and they can go anywhere. And Okay. I'm kind of liking it. But during the, during that evening, as I was thinking it over, I literally could hear Bob's voice in my head going, honey, if they think the bears are going to do better, if you put them in a box, put them in a box. It doesn't matter. Two letters. Yes. A-G to O-X. Not a big deal. <laughs> and I went, okay. And then I realized the box theme was really a good theme. And um, and I I wrote it. And the beginning is the same as when Bob read it. The ending is the same as Bob read it. But the middle, going from bag to box, had to change a little bit, you know. But I am so, um, there's um, art in there. My illustrator is wonderful. And there's art in there where the box becomes a hot air balloon mm -hmm. and they're flying over an Island and they look down and Gilligan is waving up to oh, them. Lovely. So we have, I worked Bob into the book and then uh, in June, I have the second bear book is coming out. It's called four bears in a box back to the beach where <laughs> they go back to the beach to look for the man in the red shirt. And it's really uh the creatures they meet along the way, very different than they are and how they all become great friends and learn to appreciate each, each other's uniqueness and all of that. So it's going to be a whole series of books. They're always going to be looking for giggling. Mm -hmm. Good. We call them giggling. When Bob used to do personal appearances, little kids who couldn't say Gilligan, they couldn't do the L. <laughs> First, we call him Gilligan, which we thought was perfect. Yes, absolutely. Thought, okay, that's what I'm going to call him in the book then. So, yeah. Giggle. I love it. What about Giggle. the Zen and Now? Zen and Now. Oh, I love this little book. This just came out. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure the publisher has gotten her copies in yet to get them going on Amazon, but I do have them on bobdenver.com, uh, and she'll get them going soon if it, if it hasn't happened already. But um, back in July, I lost my love of my life dog. Are you a dog person? Oh, yes. I haven't had one in a few years, and I still miss her even though it's six years ago. Yes, absolutely. See, it, it, I've had dogs all my life, mm -hmm. but my Zen made me a dog person. Right. He, it was just the two of us. We had a soul connection. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you have that animal oh. that does that. 
they know you from the soul heart spirit out you know they do they're just he was my heart yes 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 he was my heart i just loved him so much and when he died i had to have him put to sleep which is Mm. something i've never had to do and um when that happened i'm telling you i cried Mm. every day i mean it was like losing a, a person that you love in your life you know and I was, I didn't, I was, everything was so empty. And about two days after he died, I called my publisher and I said, I have to write a book about the love between yeah. a dog and his person. Mm-hmm. And he was a rescue and I'm very big on rescuing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I said, I want to, you know, and she said, do it, go for it. I kind of gave her a pitch, what I wanted to do. And she liked it. And she said, just go for it. So I did. And um, it's a, it's a book I can show it to you right here. It's mm. so, so sweet, but it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's not a huge book, but it really is about some of our adventures together. And then um, about the rainbow bridge mm-hmm. and just those things that give you comfort. Yeah. When you, because really people couldn't talk to me enough about the rainbow bridge mm-hmm. after he, you know, after Zen passed away, I was like, I want to believe, as a matter of fact, when I had him put to sleep, I said to him, when I get there, the first thing I see better be you making a beeline for me. Yes. I don't care if anybody else meets me, but you have to be there, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's how I felt. And so I wanted to write a book that was um, not like old Yeller, where I didn't kill the dog off in the book. Um, I didn't want to do it that way because children, this is like fourth grade and up. Mm adults will love it but it's really like an early chapter book for for older children and i um but the rainbow bridge part is very obvious that that's where we are mm-hmm. and it all makes sense when you read it and i did it very gently and with a lot of love so and you know it, let's face it those beautiful spirits aren't here for very long on earth but the 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 light and the brightness that they bring is to oh. so you know 100% and so a child in growing up is most certainly going to lose a pet in yeah. you know, before they become the adult in many ways and and it's a it's for them to understand the gift that animal was and still is after they've gone exactly. and that you know it we have to let them go we have to let them go home we have yes. to let them go home they've been here they've done their job they've loved us like nobody else can love us and that, yeah, that talk about unconditional love uh, uh, and forgiveness and loyalty uh, and all those those beautiful qualities that yeah. I don't care how much we love each other as human beings yes. we don't have that, that same that, no you know. and, and I've literally had a dog save my life uh, we oh, would have really? both be oh yeah a, a quick story on that a border collie I had been given an antidepressant because depression is one of those things I've dealt with in my life. And it was a new pill on the, on the market. And it made me feel like I was high and I'm driving in South Africa along a cliff road. And there's a big bend where you can actually pull in and stop and look down. It's very, very beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. But I thought I could fly. And a lot of people have committed suicide over there, which I had no intention of doing. I just thought I could fly. I'm in an open sports car and my dog barks at me and I bark back at her. She pours me, I pour her. And the next moment as we're heading for that bend, she threw her entire body over me. And I'm driving stick, not automatic. My foot comes off. I come to a standstill. My tires are on the edge of the cliff. Oh. And, and, oh. and it's like I, I've snapped out of 
where I was at and I don't even know how long I was there and she just threw her body right on top of me right and and I had no intention of committing suicide I just thought we could fly and that drug actually ended up causing a number of people dying through through these hallucinations they had to take it off the market but how did she know how did she know and had she not we we wouldn't be here so so connected to you yes oh god yes wow yeah there's nothing there's really you know there's nothing there's nothing like that uh, that love i mean no, it's, it's so pure it's it, it just it is so pure from yeah. there in so my zen um passed away in july and i swore i would never do it again but you I couldn't possibly do it again i couldn't go through this again and i missed him so badly and the house was so empty mm-hmm. and it was like the silence was deafening you know there was nobody in here but me not another living breathing thing and i was so um, about two months ago, <laughs> I um, just on a, my Zen who died was a Husky mix. Mm-hmm. And so um, I love Huskies. I found out. No, he was my first Husky. Yeah, I'm a border, and, collar fa- border Collie fan. That's my, my breed. Uh, Bob and I used to talk about getting mm-hmm. Border Collie. Gorgeous, gorgeous creatures. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous. Um, but anyway, so I you know, just on a whim, mm. went to the animal shelter. And <laughs> as I walked in, I said, they're not going to have any huskies. There's no way. Right. And those don't end up in animal shelters that often. They're going to have hunting dogs and bird dogs and, you know, and there'll be nothing that will grab me and, you know, <laughs> famous last word. So I walked in, there were two huskies, not just one, but two. And mine, um, uh, I named him Finn, which I didn't even think of at the time, rhymed with Zen. Didn't even mm. think of that. But Finn, I, he's all white. He's mm. an all white husky. Beautiful. And so I looked up, um, I looked up good names for all white dogs and mm-hmm. Finn means white or fair. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay. So then I realized they rhymed and there you go. I don't know what to tell you. I called <laughs> him Zen for the first three weeks. It took me forever. <laughs> but, um, you know, he just felt, believe me, ah, first three weeks, I thought, I don't know if I can do this. I'm getting too old. <laughs> he was like, he's a year and a half, but it's still a lot of puppy in him and very strong and, yes. you know, wanting to pull me around. And, but we're finally, after about a month, we started kind of getting, getting some rhythm, rhythm going. Mm-hmm. And he is just, um, he's got one brown eye and one blue eye, uh. which I thought was going to be weird at first. But I went on, I went at the very beginning, I thought, okay, maybe dogs with two different eyes, maybe they're harder to train or maybe they're crazy or maybe something. <laughs> but so I went to Google and see if that meant anything. And I saw a Native American myth about dogs with one brown and one blue eye. And I loved what it said. I opened it up, I clicked on it and it said, Native Americans believe that dogs with one blue eye and one brown eye see heaven and earth simultaneously. Yes. Yes. I said, that's my dog right there. And that actually is. And that is Bob bringing that dog to you to say this, still the connection, right? I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. So so we're doing, we're doing really good. We're not perfect yet, but we're getting there. And he's lying right behind me right now. 
-hmm. quietly. I was kind of worried. I thought, oh, I have many a dog that's been in a show. Don't worry about it. We love them. Okay, good. (laughs) If we ever do this again, then I'll just bring him on. Oh, God, (laughs) yes. And we'll just go. He's he's really a sweetheart. So that's just as the Zen book is coming out. Mm -hmm. um, I have been now. But you know that I did find, and I didn't believe it when I was told this at the beginning, but a new dog does ease the pain. Oh God, it does. And, and, and old, also, and really does. you're not offending the old dog by getting a new one. <laughs> not I, I at all. I was cheating on him though. No, but no, no. They want you to, they, they have ignited that heart and love in you. And they say, no, no, no. Now you've got to give it with someone else. He you would know, want me to rescue another yeah, puppy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so I think there's going to be a thin book. We'll see. Of course. Of course. <laughs> you got to have but some thin adventures. A thin book, and I think thin is going to have a guardian angel dog mm, called Zen. That's going to be Zen, <laughs> will be his guardian angel dog. Right. And try to help him not be such a troublemaker in life, you know, mm, try to tell him yeah. the right way. Anyway, I think there's going to be a thin book too. Excellent. It'll just take, take a little bit longer for me to get to know him a little bit better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Would you ever go back to acting? Oh, you know, when Bob first died, I thought about that a lot because I somehow it felt like it would bring me closer mm-hmm. to him. Um, but here's the thing. Back when I was a young actress, before I met Bob, and I worked with great, great actors like Sal Minio and Doug McClure and all these people I worked with before Bob, I was the sweet young thing, mm-hmm. the love interest. I was... Um, that's how I left acting as the young romantic interest for all the hot leading men, right? If I went back now, I would have to be the grandmother, maybe even the great grandmother. <laughs> Nonsense, <laughs> not the way you look. No, never sell oh, no, yourself short. Sure. You. you know, this is this is one of the things I advocate. I'm 67. I started uh-huh. podcasting at 57, so doing it 10, 10 years now. It's never too late to, to find a passion or do something. And, you know, That's one right. of the things that we're seeing with the Judy Dentures and the Helen Murins and the Jane Fonders and the Betty Whites is that if you still have a love and passion for something, who cares what the number is? It's about That's what really you bring true. to the table. And it doesn't mean you have bring, to be... At this age, you bring so much more. Exactly. Because you have and lived also, some life. And, and yeah. especially with what you've lived with, you know, what you can bring, you know, is even more depth. And and then just never yeah. too late to so leave that door open. Leave that door open. Don't dictate and don't assume. Just That's allow. No. no, you're right. You're right. It would be, you know, I did comedies. Mm-hmm. I was going to say primarily, I think, comedies and musicals i think that's all of what i did i don't remember doing any dramas um but you know now something dramatic something that brings tears or yeah. emotion so i could go there in a yes. really big way now right uh, in a way that i couldn't have done it in my 20s and 30s exactly you know? exactly so, so, okay i'm not going to close that door then we're going to leave no, it open i don't want that we're door closed happen. yeah you never, you never know. I didn't think I'd be an author. Exactly. Um, you know, and here I am. And I didn't think as an award-winning author, that's mm-hmm. pretty exciting. And I just thought, um, you know, you, you don't know. I really have found that you don't know no. what life has in store. And you really do have to just leave yourself open to, yes. to whatever. whatever. And you'll know as things get presented to you, your core gut will tell you, yes, it's right for me. 
You know, the right. thing is, I always say to people, please don't listen to your head. Your head yeah. is going to give you every excuse in the book of not to. Listen to your heart and soul. That yeah. compass will always guide you right. And never yeah. say never and never sell yourself short. I think your gut, even more than your heart. Yeah. Because I think well, the that's heart the soul wisdom. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it, it can fool us. I know it's fooled me in my lifetime. But I think when you, I, at this stage, at this age, and I'm a little bit ahead of you, but at this age, I think back on the times when my gut said, don't do it. Mm -hmm. And I did it anyway. Mm -hmm. And it was the wrong thing to do. Exactly. I, mean, I think your gut. I, think I call that the soul wisdom. It exactly. is the divine soul wisdom that then resonates with your heart and truth, lifts your spirit into action for your mind to know what it needs to know when it needs to know it. Oh, your soul wisdom. I love that. No, I, I'm going to steal that. Is that okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll share. No, it, it, is, it is. I'm here as a soul igniter. So, you know, it is when we open up and channel that divine wisdom, you know, we then actually understand what the knowledge is for. But when exactly. we go from the knowledge without the wisdom, it's just knowledge for whose sake. The wisdom gives the knowledge definition and meaning and purpose. Right. No, that's so, it's so true because the times that, you know, even you think about your young romantic dating life and, yeah. and when I would date somebody that in here, I was going, mm, mm -hmm. yeah, but I want to. Mm. I know. <laughs> Lisa, Lisa. He's so good looking, <laughs> he's so charming, whatever, you know. And then um, and then you go, no, I should have listened to my well my soul know, wisdom. That's what right. I should have listened to. And my soul wisdom got my last dog to replace my husband. What's one of the best things I ever did? <laughs> 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 because oh. no one loves me and in the world like that dog did you know and I think that's that's the thing your children love you but they always worry about you or this or that or that you know and there's always something that they're concerned about but with a with an animal it is just pure and adulterated love you know yes. and you can be yourself in whatever capacity and that animal is there for you you can gain 20 pounds during lockdown you can not wash your hair for a week you can <laughs> Yeah. I hear you. That's what I'm talking about. No, I mean, you can do all those things and the doggy doesn't care. Not at all. As long doesn't as they're with you. Problem. Yeah. yeah. That, that all they want is to be with you and that's it. And that kind of love is wonderful. Oh, you know, we've learned so much here today, but, you know, most certainly to summarize it up is a lesson learned is ask for help, right? Ask mm -hmm. for help, but also that the true love of a partner is to weather the storms together, yeah. right? And that you are so much stronger uh, and capable than we ever think, but that it is okay to say, I need help and to get okay. help. And I think another thing is that, you know, when we're going through trials and tribulations, that really is where we learn. Yes. It's where we find out what we're made of. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you're in the middle of one, even if you can't see it in that moment, yeah. know that there's something in there that's going to be valuable when you come out the other side. Yes. And now I try to see it in the moment. Yes. Now that I've recognized that, I really, if something happens and I think, okay, now what am I supposed to learn from this or what? 
Mm -hmm. I, I just do it in the moment now. So you can teach yourself to do that, I think. Yes. Well, we, you know? we're not present enough in our own lives. We're so busy projecting <laughs> or dictating or, you know, we don't allow. And that allowing comes by being in the moment. What is it I right. need to know in this moment now? And sometimes it could just be a blank space. You're meant to know nothing but just be still. Yes. Just be present with yourself. Yes. Right? And that is That's something that we don't we allow ourselves to do. We're not still enough. No. We're really not. No. We're, it's either the TV's going or yeah. the we're busy running the kids around or whatever we're doing. Um, stillness is, I think it's a lost art. And I think it's something we really could get back to and benefit from. Yeah. There's a in lot a to learn in silence. A lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm there as I heard Homer Hickam that I was talking about earlier. You know, he gives speeches all over. Um, the country and he was telling me once oh gosh this has been 12 years ago maybe that he worried about young people now because they never just go sit on a riverbank right and, and lie back and just look at the clouds yes and just they they're plugged in yeah and this was years ago so it's worse now mm -hmm. than it was when he was telling me this but I hadn't thought about it that way and I thought you know that's true when I was a kid of course, we're talking, you know, back in the Stone Ages here. But when I was <laughs> hey, I'm from the same <laughs> Stone Age. <laughs> but when, when I was a kid, we were outside all the yes. time. And, yes. and I can remember a creek near my house where there was like a rope mm -hmm. swing, like a Tarzan kind yes. of swing. I mean, the greatest thrill in life was mm -hmm. to uh, climb. I loved to climb trees when I was a kid, mm -hmm. climbing a tree or getting on that rope swing and swinging across the creek. It wasn't dangerous. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't like a big river or anything. Right. And, you know, out in the fresh air and the sun, you could stay out till after dark and, you know, your parents. And the, the community had your back. I mean, I would, yeah. I, I would read my doll's pram and going for a walk all over the neighborhood. I'm six, seven, eight, you know, nobody worried yeah. because yeah. There, there weren't the predators out there that there are today. And, and, you know, now if you don't see the kid in the courtyard, where is it? Where is he? You know, and you, and you panic, right? And, and it's because we've become so predatory and we've, we've kind of allowed too much of that uh, cynicism to come through yeah. us. And, uh, you know, that is something we need to question because there's good and evil in every one of us. It's what we feed is what's going to grow. And, you know, we, we can all have dark thoughts. We can all go there. But there is that choice of positive living. Do we exactly. want to go there? What do we want to feed? Because what we feed is what will grow. Right? And That's we... a Native American legend, too. Have you heard that one? No, no. It's just but always Native, been my platform. Native American legend. Well, I mean, I'll have it exactly right. But there are two wolves inside of us. Yes, yes. And yes. you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. And the one that you, you know. The one, one you feed. Is... Yeah. is joy and love mm -hmm. and, and the other one is this that and the other yeah. bad thing and and which one is the one who comes to the forefront the one you right. feed yes exactly and i think it's getting harder and harder to find you know quiet and peace in this world yes. just in yes. general um and the fact that we you know was it mark twain or albert einstein or somebody who gosh i've seen this meme on facebook i think mm -hmm. but where there's a quote by one of them that says something about there will come a day when people won't be um, looking up and looking at each other anymore. Mm -hmm. They'll be looking yes. down and which that's is exactly, now, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we do with the cell phones. And yes. I don't know. I yeah, kind of, gosh, I hate to sound like an old fogey. No, no, but like, I mean, you know, this is, but... you know, that the 10 years I've been doing this and 3,000 shows and things like this is something we talk about a great deal. We're not engaged in our own lives. Yes. We're not present in our own lives. We're, we're living this expectational exterior life of what, yes. you know, everybody, you know, we're only popular with or, or we, we're only count if. And we don't yeah. do the interior work. And it's the interior that is desperate for us, the, the soul, heart and spirit to connect uh, so that we actually can live an authentic life from, from our very essence, from our very beingness. And if we yeah. can stop chasing the outside and live from the inside out, we realize we're already abundant. It's really, have you noticed as I've gotten older, I've noticed that, first of all, the urge to purge mm -hmm. is with me practically every day of my life. <laughs> because as I've gotten older, I start looking and, and I, you know, I couldn't have understood this when I was young, but things are just things. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're just things. There's, it's stuff. Stuff that when I'm gone, somebody's going to have to come in and, mm -hmm. you know, sort through and get rid of. And I'm all, I keep reading about being a minimalist and having, and that sounds so good to me. I'm like, oh, if I could downsize and get rid of just, I don't know. I, the urge to purge is like huge with me. I just wonder if anybody else goes through that the way I, I do. And I think, you know, I, I was the big 4,000 square foot house. I was born in big houses and now I'm in two rooms in a small apartment, you know, and eventually my daughter's going to build a house on her property for me to live there and help with the children. Um, and they were talking about oh, 500 square feet. Lovely. And I thought, ah, 500 square feet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I can go that small. But um, I have stuff around me, but for me, it... I feel energy in things. And so the yeah. things around me have got to be things that energetically feed me. That when I look exactly. at them, they're feeding me. If they don't feed me, then they don't need to be there. What is it that the, the uh, oh gosh, I forget her name. If it, hold it, look at it. If it brings you joy. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't bring you joy, get rid yeah, of it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I would like, I'd be, like I'm looking around this room right now going, okay, well, that doesn't really bring me joy right there. Right. <laughs> I'm afraid I'd be like clearing it all out. And the sentimental value of things too. And I don't mean to sound like I have no sentimentality because I do, but it just, you know, all the sentiment, corny as it sounds, is really here. Yeah. I mean, the memories are here and the the I don't know I just as I've gotten older it's, it's kind of a surprise to me I didn't see that sort of you know things don't matter I I, I didn't see that coming well, you, you put the sentiment in the book yeah that's where that sentiment that's, is now right it's in the story and you know it's um you know I have a grandson now who's one year old I had to wait a long time for him to get this grandson and, you know, every stage is just cut a tooth and, you know, all of these wonderful things that he's doing. And then, you know, they're, they're more eager now to see the pictures of them when they were children, when they were babies. You know, was yeah. I doing this then? What did I look like then? And all of that. And so all of that means something more to them. So that's why right. I hold on to it for them. Right. And, and yeah. it's always, always say there's no wrong, no harm in looking back because it shows you where you are today and all the things that's that you true. can be appreciative of and all the gratitudes that you can have. And there isn't anybody that goes through life without hard knocks, some a great deal harder than others. But the right. thing is, is 
as you said, you broke down and you cried and you lived in gratitude. And it's, you didn't go through it alone. You had the love of your life there. You had yeah. all those years with him. Should The lesson learned, which we should have asked for help earlier, it would have been okay. Yeah, um, but, you know, for him, he had the foresight. Maybe he knew something was happening. Going to get the house across the road. That's where mm -hmm. he's going to be because he wanted to free you up for you to pursue your life now. Right. You know, it's really true because he moved up. Like I said, I'm in West Virginia. That's where I was born and reared. And uh, and Bob was the one who wanted to move back here. Mm -hmm. And I can remember saying, seriously, because <laughs> I didn't ever imagine. West Virginia is beautiful. Not being critical of it. I just never imagined coming back here. Right here. Once I got to California and, you know, and he said, I just think it would be really nice. And in retrospect, obviously, mm -hmm. I can see that he, he wanted, we were taking care of Colin. He wanted to do it someplace off the beaten path, you know, somewhere quiet and peaceful, which this place is. But also I had at the time, not so much now, but I had family here. Mm -hmm. So if and when something happened to him, I wouldn't be left in a strange place, not knowing somebody like right. when, we, when we lived in Vegas, we didn't know anybody there. You know, yeah. we moved here from Vegas and I don't know. I can see again, that's, that's what going those decades down the road when I looked back and suddenly I started seeing like how purposefully he had done, had made some choices mm -hmm. that I could see were from my benefit because he was older. Bob was, almost 16 years older than I was. Mm. So, um, so he knew it would probably go the way it went, which would be, right. he would be the first one to, to leave, you know? So I don't know. It's, um, I like you, Sarah, you're fun. <laughs> I really enjoy doing right this. Right back at you, darling, right back at you. I've, I've been <laughs> looking forward to this one most certainly. And you know, the thing, just like he dedicated his life to making people smile. He didn't, you know, he didn't care if he was, you know, the playing the silly bagger, you know, if he got a right. smile out of people. And like, you know, when, as I said, at the top of the hour in Gilligan's Island, nobody would have survived without him, even though everybody treated him as the idiot. Right. And, right. and the thing is, but he did mess a thing up here and there. <laughs> <laughs> but, he, did, you know, he did make a mess of things. But, you know, when he created that character, he told me that, that his whole idea, first of all, he wanted it to appeal to I've got shadows now on me. Hello. The sun is changing out there. <laughs> um, sorry about that. That's okay. But um, he wanted to create a character that messed up. Yeah. Which Gilligan did and made everybody mad. Mm -hmm. And they would send him to the cave on the other side of the island. They'd be so mad at him. But what he wanted was for children to see that that could happen. You could mess up, do something wrong. Right, right. Mom and dad get mad. Siblings get mad. Everybody, friends get mad. But in the end, they loved you. Yes. And you would always be forgiven. That's what he wanted that character right. to be for children. He wanted to be the childlike person who messed up all the time, but they loved him so much they couldn't stay mad at him. Right, you exactly. Know? So I think he achieved that. Oh, he definitely achieved that. He definitely. And look at it. It's still on today still pleasing generations today which is absolutely 50, fabulous 50 i guess this year is going to be 58 wow. years wow 22 wait a minute i can't do the math in my head that quickly <laughs> so when it started I, in it was it the 60s or 70s 
it was the 60s and it was 63. So oh, I can't do this in 63. I can't do the math in my That's head. Okay, so I'm under 40, pressure. 50, 60. So it is, it is um, 59 years. Okay, it would, it would not be 59 yet. I think last year, see, I'm thinking 2022 is 58 years because last year I thought it was 57. Anyway, 57 or 58 years, that <laughs> show has been on the air. And it's still pleasing and, people. Yeah, and I actually and, remember we, we took the family away. It was the farewell last family holiday. And, you know, with, with my ex, we went away as a family. And uh, um, I was actually on the island swimming and my, um, the rest of the family went scuba diving, which I didn't want to do. And I remember just floating in those waters. I got megaly sunburned. I ended up being this red at the end of the day. <laughs> but I remember lying in those waters, I just away from people and just because water is such a conduit for me and just really being so peaceful and that water was just so wonderful. So, you know, and just remembering the happy times of actually watching the show because, you know, um, we didn't have it in South Africa when I was living there, but when I first came to Canada, it was on the air already on replay. And I, and I watched a lot of the episodes, if not all of them. And, you know, always the shenanigans and everything else, but always the, you know, from the chaos comes the clarity, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes. When Bob passed away, the show had been on the air for 40 years, I think, 40 40, 40, 41 years it had been on. And he couldn't believe that. Yeah. He was like, so now he would be like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> well, it's because that, it, the message is still very apropos, you know, and, you know, and, it, and it shows people, people want simplicity, you know, so. Yes. And the other thing is, unlike other shows from the late 50s, early 60s, even in the 70s, even in the 80s, you can't place Gilligan's Island at any particular time. No, no. There are no telephones, no cars, right. no, no fashion. Yeah. No fashion, no nothing. Just Ginger and her slinky gowns and Marianne and her gingham, you know? Mm -hmm. So that Bob, when people used to ask Bob, what do you, you know, how do you, what makes you think that the show has such longevity? He would say, because you can put it on the air today yeah. Right now in color. And you would not know that it wasn't made in the studio last month. Right. Because it doesn't, it, it's not dated in any way. And I thought, wow, that really is true. You know, the show you're on an Island, beautiful. you got like a, um, what a coconut bamboo car, <laughs> you know, and in the third season, I mean, you, you don't have anything that can that can put it in any particular time or place and you know today and you know, of course we have you know kids will go but yeah but what about the cell phones well you know what they're on an island without satellite and they exactly. don't have a phone so this is actually what life was like pre-phones you know so. uh, isn't that the truth yeah rotary or otherwise yeah you know? yeah <laughs> exactly i know it was it's a it's a, a great show and something they never something they never, none of them ever expected, obviously, that it would be on mm -hmm. years later. And, you know, Bob felt like uh, he was a young actor when it went off the air. I think he was 33 years old. And, you know, he wanted to spread his wings as an actor and do other things. And, and of course, he was so typecast. Yeah. That, nowadays, it's not so bad. Right. People can jump from network to network because there's so much now. But, but back then, you know, he was mm -hmm. so well known. What, in the days when there was CBS, ABC, and NBC, 
if you were on CBS, which he was, um, you know, even if somebody didn't watch your show, they knew who you were because there weren't that many famous people when you got right down to it. Yeah. Not that many people had series on television, you know, so, um, you know, but I, the longevity is, is a wonderful thing. And I, I know he'd be shocked, but I'm, I'd love to be able to represent him. And I, yes. I love when I get a chance to, to tell people again, the reason I wrote the book was because I wanted people to know him and not just Gilligan. And, yeah. The other and, side of Gilligan. Yeah. yeah. The other side of the Island. That's, yeah what it was and he's um he was really worth knowing again mm. i don't want people to think that i've written a book with rose colored glasses and made mm. him perfect he is not perfect and he told me don't do that mm -hmm. tell it like it was so that's what i do imperfections and all and i hope people will pick it up especially if you're dealing with special needs and caregiving yes. and all of that i'm i'm not an expert i'm not a doctor but i can well, I Certainly. think I think 38 years of living with this has made you an expert, my dear. <laughs> with so my kids, yes, <laughs> absolutely. You know, because I always say the best teachers are those that have gone through it. And you've certainly gone through it. And, um, you know, and by your own admission, we should have asked for help earlier. And then look yes. where he is today. He's thriving, you know, yes. and and, uh, you know, you guys should have given yourselves more permission to let go of those reins. But you were you doing have. what you knew best at the time based on what information was out there at that time there, there was not a lot of information nope. in the 80s i'm nope. sorry no nope. there wasn't Definitely. no and really it's so. only in the last 20 years even 15 yeah. years that it's really come more to the forefront where we're seeing it and you know like we had that autistic child um win america america's got talent you know playing the piano uh, oh, yes 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 Yes, he's blind and autistic, but when he plays the piano, he transforms into someone else and just really? sings absolutely incredibly. And it just it opened up to that world is that nobody is throwaway, right? Yeah. Everybody, everybody is, has got something to challenge, and it's just a question of how we look at it and how we right. treat it, how we treat ourselves. So, yeah, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. I have so enjoyed this conversation. I have so enjoyed it too. I just think you're great. <laughs> right back at you darling right back at you and uh you know i just the journey that you've taken is not one you would have designed for yourself but you know it's um you had the struggle there for quite some time but look at where you are now you didn't curl up and die when he died you didn't give up right you you know you transformed and that's that is an inspiration in itself if anybody had told me right before i got pregnant with colin okay, here's how it's going to go down. I would have said, forget it. I can't yeah. do this. Right. There's no way. There's no way I'll be able to do it. I'm not that strong. I'm not that this. I'm not that that. And what you, you know, you end up surprising yourself. Yeah. Sometimes, you, sometimes you do what you have to do, like it or not. Yeah. Easy or not. And again, that's what, that's what forms um, the person you become. So if people can look at their trials that way and and just know that there's something good in there, yes. something good is going to come out of it. Uh, you know, I it took me a while to figure that out. Again, it took me what a couple of decades to figure that out. But but uh, but it's but also never too late. It's never too late. Look who you are now. You're an author, best-selling author. Back yeah. into the movies or TV soon, I predict. Uh, <laughs> and you know, uh, you're, you're living your life. 
you know and that's the thing it's it it's it's never sell yourself short always yes. be in self-discovery because you never know who you're meant to be you've had many chapters in your book of life but that doesn't mean your book is over you've still got many more chapters to go i'm i'm counting on it let me tell you i am and we have to make sure that your grandson gets a four bears in a box oh gosh yes most certainly they they've read to him almost from the day he's been born they're avid well, readers it's so cool because he well i mean he's young right now i have to be read too and all that i know yes. that but you know when he's like four and five years old yeah. i've had parents send me pictures of how they took amazon boxes and yes put like paper plates as wheels and <laughs> um, they got really creative and they would send me pictures mm -hmm. it made it being a children's author i'm telling you it affected me in a way i never expected i to think that i put something out into the world mm -hmm. for our youngest Mm -hmm. for our young ones something that every time a grandparent buys the book and set at book signings and says to me oh tonight i'm going to curl up with my grandson and read this mm -hmm. it does something to my heart yes it really really does uh, i just you know i expected gilligan's dreams to affect me all over the place yep. of course it did but being a children's author is pretty special i had another children's author on this week as well and and we were talking about the impact of how a book goes on forever and and recently we we found a book in a secondhand store love you forever i don't know if you remember that book i do um, remember that but and my daughter saw it and and her husband had never had it read to him you know he was never familiar with it and uh, she read it to him and couldn't go through it she was crying too much because it's such a oh. beautiful endearing book and and that was like something like 30 years later you know oh, that this book God. still meant so much to her and that's the beauty of books that's the beauty of children's books they never die there's they just really so, somebody else picks them up and reads them and it's something that they need to read in their life or bring back beautiful memories or express something on how they feel and that's the beauty of books and a children's book just gets passed on and you know when a when the, when the adult reads it to the child i always believe it it ignites the child within them it connects them back to their yes. own child which i think is a gift in itself too so it really does i don't know it's pretty special i know i like it, it good a surprise you never well, know what life is going to hand you people i'm telling you no you well you're, you're going to have to come back when you've got a couple more books there and let's let's talk about the next books and always door is always open always happy to have you back my love i would love to come back anytime you want me to anytime. Uh, absolutely most certainly we've still got so much to talk about so how <laughs> do people get hold of the books now i know you've got two ways they're going to be on amazon that's what people can order but if they go through the site and order from you you will give them a signed copy yes if they go to bobdenver.com that's easy to remember um there those orders come directly to me and so i can autograph them before I send them out. Right. Uh, the, the Amazon orders, believe me, I understand being a prime person mm -hmm. and loving the two day delivery. Yes. I get it. Um, and so I don't fault anybody for that, but I do not see those orders. So I right. can't, I can't sign those. So if right. the autograph doesn't matter, go straight to Amazon. And if you'd like something autographed, then come to bobdenver.com. Excellent. See all the books, see all the story. We didn't even talk about the foundation. So you're going to have to come back when we're going to have to see, talk about that. I don't know that you, I don't know if you saw this in the bio, but I started um, a program, Always Free Honor Flight, that honors our veterans yes. uh, with free trips. So 
we there's all kinds of things we can no, talk about. No, you're back so. because I actually do have your uh, our veteran stories channel, uh, so you're going to have to come back and talk oh, about that. Bad, so yeah, yeah we, any excuse to have you back, but let's have you back on that one, right? So that'd be great. I would it. love that. Definitely. I love our veterans so much. All yes. of them know that too. Yeah, so. and, and having done so many of the interviews with the veterans, they're there for each other like no other, and they know what they need, and they create the organizations that yeah. you know that help them, which then also in turn helps the communities and everybody else out there. So, right, that's our next show, my darling. We're on the foundation right. on that, right? We're, we got it all figured out. All right, for now, bobdenver.com to get your signed book or it's on Amazon, any one of the books. Um, just put in her name, Dreamer, that's A, not E-R, Denver, and in Amazon under books, and you'll see all the books come up there. Um, but if you want a signed copy, which is a wonderful thing to give as a gift to someone else as well, but to read the book, um, you know, Gilligan's Dreams, and, you know, about the story we always assume we see somebody must be rich and famous who's been on the air for so long and we never know the story that really goes on behind the scenes there and you've heard some of it today and just how hard it really was so please get the book and and read more i guarantee it will give you strength and courage in your own life and give you a reflection in your own life and uh, and just to realize it's never too late and yes we can and yeah it's okay to ask for help Yes, we're sure. Thank you so much, Dreamer. It's been an absolute delight. We're going to book that next show right now. And to everyone else out there, um, inspiration comes in so many packages. And yes, we're so much stronger than we think we are. Always be open and willing to allow whatever's meant to be and take that path. Until next time, bye for now. We hope you enjoyed the show. We look forward to bringing you more shows please go to selfdiscoverymedia.com slash shows and you will see the incredible lineup of genres and shows that we have for you. We are here to make a difference in your life. Thank you for listening.